Well, as I had said and and prayed, uh, we're starting a new series here in the new year. As we're going to be focusing on the fruit of the Spirit as we read in Galatians uh, 5, verses 22 and 23. We're actually going to do 11 weeks on this. And it seems like maybe a lot to do in two verses. Uh, And even in the weeks coming up, it's going to be a whole sermon on one word. And uh, there's just, there's so much to be said about the work that God does, but more so it's, it's really taking a bigger picture at, at what each of these uh, virtues means in our lives and, and how it's applied to us and really how Jesus has uh, fulfilled and elevated all of these things. But as I had prayed, I just want to encourage all of you, and this is not anything that should be taken in any way but encouragement, uh, that we all have room to grow. And it, that's, that's a good thing, that God has more work to do in us, and there's, there's more ways that we can be shaped and formed like Jesus. And that's not just our goal as Christians, uh, that's God's goal for all of us. And it's a wonderful thing that no matter where we're at, uh, God wants to work in you, and he's not going to give up on you. So it's important to know that first, that this is going to apply to all of us, no matter where we are in the faith. But the second thing to remember and, and, and understand up front is that this is not a self-improvement series, okay? And I know in the new year, it's often, you know, set your goals, and it's about self-help and, and self-elevation. Uh, this is about the work that God is desiring to do in each and all of us, and it's the work that only God can do in you. And so today, before we even start looking into each of these virtues over the next nine weeks, I just want to take kind of an an overview of this whole concept uh, of the basis of bearing fruit uh, through the Holy Spirit and and really what it means and what it it doesn't mean. Uh, We're going to look at three kind of um, um, important uh, understandings of the fruit of the Spirit this morning. But before we do that, we're just going to read the verses that we're going to be focusing on for the next 11 weeks. And this is found in Galatians 5. And throughout the series, we're going to be putting this more into context of, of why these verses are here and, and what it really means in the greater scope of God's work. But it's just these two verses that we'll be focusing on. And I invite you to open up in Galatians 5 uh, as well to read that. But starting in verse 22, the Apostle Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against against such things, there is no law. And where this is written is, is kind of in the middle of a couple of arguments that he's making. And one of them is that if you try to do the Christian life all by yourself and by your own rules, you're going to fail. Right? And you're going to fail spectacularly. And he, he, he gives a list before this that we'll read later about the works of the flesh and what it looks like if, if you just follow your own fleshly desires. And this list is written in contrast to that. You know, this, this is what the, the life led by the Spirit looks like. And these are the virtues and the characteristics that happens through the fruit of the Spirit. And... Uh, Pastor Phil had spoken last week, kind of a prologue into this whole series, 
out of John 15 when, when Jesus talks about being the vine and we are the branches and, and that we bear fruit only by remaining or abiding in him. And he gave the definition last week that I would just continue in this series of what is, what is fruit? What is the fruit in the Christian life? And the easiest way to define it is just being like Jesus, right? When you, when you are Christ-like in your attitudes, in your actions, in your words, that is the fruit that God desires in our life. So what do we learn here about the fruit of the Spirit? And the first is this, that, that it is one fruit. It is not a list of fruits. It is not nine or, or many fruits. It is, it is one fruit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. And I know this can kind of come off as one of those like, well, technically or, or actually moments. And, and it's not just about arguing semantics here. This is actually pretty important to understanding the whole concept of the fruit of the Spirit. Because more often than not, when we read this list, we kind of make it into like nine things we put on a checklist. Like if you want to be a super Christian, just, just check off being loving and, and joyful and, and kind and, and uh, gentle. And you go down the list and you look at it as like nine separate things that you need to master one by one. But the fruit of the Spirit as we read it here is, is kind of a package deal. It's all of these characteristics and these virtues that are exhibited all at once when the Holy Spirit works in you. And the danger of viewing them as, as independent characteristics in, in one master list is that we, we tend to go towards kind of an a la carte Christianity, where it's just like, well, I am very loving, I'm, I'm very gentle, I'm very kind, uh, I don't really have much for self-control, um, and I'm, I'm not very patient with others, but I'm all of the other things, and so I'm doing okay. But what we see here is that the, the fruit, the work of the Spirit, is exhibited in all of these qualities simultaneously, and any of them without the other are not very effective. So I just encourage you to look at it in the right picture here. And, and often, where we get it wrong is we think of it as a branch with, with nine apples on it, and those are the fruits of the Spirit. And you might look at them as, as apples that are growing. If you are the branch, they're growing on you in their own independent ways. Some of them are ripe and mature. Some of them are, are budding or just starting. Some of them are rotten. But you have all nine of them on you in some sense. And you could say, you know, I got seven of the nine, so that's like a solid C+. Plus, all right? I'm a passing Christian. And that's the totally wrong way to look at this. It's not a list of virtues. It's, it's one work or one fruit of the Holy Spirit that's working all together. So instead, think of the fruit of the Spirit as, as one apple cut into nine slices, right? Where all of them taste the same. All of them uh, are equal sized, but you can't really be satisfied unless you eat the whole thing, you don't have the fruit unless you have all nine pieces. And that's what new life in the Spirit or our fruit of the Spirit is. It's, it's evidenced by the exhibiting of all of these qualities together in the life of a Christian. I think we think about this incorrectly because we often confuse the fruit of the Spirit 
with the gifts of the Spirit or, or spiritual gifts. And this is another important part of the Christian life is that, that we believe uh, biblically that God has equipped every believer with a specific spiritual gift. And they're, they're detailed if you want to read these up later. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and Ephesians 4 are kind of the most comprehensive lists of spiritual gifts. But what we learn through the Bible is, is that not uh, every believer is gifted the same. We're all gifted with different gifts in, in varying amounts, and that's exactly the way God intends it to be because we fit together kind of like a puzzle and how we're gifted for the purpose of serving the body and edifying one another. But with the fruit of the Spirit, uh, God gives you all of these at once. We don't get all of the gifts, but we get all of the fruit as believers. So that's the first and important takeaway of this, of, of this whole series, is as we look at these one by one, uh, they are a package deal. And Jesus said that you will know the disciples by their fruit. And so if we're looking at this as one comprehensive package, it means that if you are loving and joyful and peaceful, uh, but you are not kind and you are not gentle and you are out of control, then the fruit of God is not evident in your life. They need to all be working together in this. The second point, as, as we look at kind of the foundation of all of this, is and this is even more important to understand than the last point, is that this is God's work. This is not your work. Right? This is the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of the Dominic. All right? It's not our work or our fruit or our labor that makes this work. And so there's kind of two dangerous extremes you can take in this line of thinking as a Christian. And the first is, is becoming kind of what I call a recliner Christian, where it's like, you know, it's all God's work and I have to do nothing in this. So God, you know, do, do your, your will in me and I'm just gonna kind of sit here and relax. So the one caveat to this, as I'm making this point, is it doesn't mean that we are to do nothing or that we have no responsibility as a Christian. And in fact, when you look at the Apostle Peter and what he wrote, um, he gave a list with many of these same qualities, and he wrote it like this in, in 2 Peter 1, verses uh, 5 through 7. He said to make every effort, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as I make this point, know that there is a responsibility to make an effort as a Christian, right? We have, we have to do what we do to walk in obedience, but then to also know at the same time that it is not our fruit, it is not our effort. We are, we're not kind of the second warning here is, is a do-it-yourself Christian, where you look at yourself as your own project. But rather in all of this, when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, it's, it's kind of a submission to the blueprint 
that God has made to your life and following the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Paul, in this context, is kind of speaking to the do-it-yourself Christians, and there's a heresy that he's addressing throughout the whole book of Galatians, which is basically wrapped up in, in two things, and as just being the person that does all of the right things and, and knows all of the right things. And if you, if you do those things, you can kind of pat yourself on the back and say, I have made it. But really, life in the spirit, in the context of Galatians 5, is about walking in freedom from all the do's and the don'ts and the must and the must not. It's about knowing that the spirit is guiding and empowering you and, and leading you through life. And all you have to do is just submit to the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be the work that God wants you to be. And you're going to live in a way, as we see here, and, and, and there's no such law against these things. So when you, when you exhibit these qualities, it's because God is working this in you, and you're obedient to it, of course, but he's leading you in a way where it's not about doing this because you must. It's because doing it because he, he leads you to this. See, we look at this list a lot of times and say, I, I just need to be more loving. I, I, just, I just need to be more gentle. I, I need to exhibit more self-control. And then when you, when you grow in that through your own efforts, there's this moment where you kind of polish your own halo and say, well, I'm actually pretty good. And, and, and you look at yourself as this really important person. And the problem is you don't really fool anyone in the long run. And you certainly don't fool God. The only way this works is through his work. And it's through a new start and a new life in him. You become a new creation with new desires and new guidance. And Jesus takes this very point and, and drives it home in two different analogies. The first is in Matthew 12, when he has kind of a tree analogy, which all of us can understand. This is, this is God's work. This is not your work. And he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. And what he's saying is, is that who you are is eventually going to grow some kind of fruit, either good fruit or bad fruit. And the only way to, to grow good fruit is to be made into a good tree through the work of Jesus. And I thought about this in, in the context of, of our own home. We live here in Maple Plain, and we've been here uh, just over 11 years now. And one of, there's a, a lot of things that attracted us to the house we bought. Uh, one of them was, was kind of a childhood dream I had growing up, because I always wanted an apple tree in my backyard. And, and I kind of had some apple trees growing up, and they weren't very good, but they're good enough to kind of eat and bake with. And so there's an apple tree in our backyard, and we bought it, bought the house and uh, came to find out that the apple tree was just not good. Uh, the, the, I don't know what kind of apple tree it was, but all of the apples were mushy. Even, even when they weren't even ripe yet, they were bland, and at, at most they were bitter. And they would fall off about the 4th of July and just create a huge mess everywhere. So after several years of this, I'm realizing my, my dream is not going to be fulfilled here, but... But just take, for example, say, you know, I really wanted it to be a honey crisp tree. 
So I could buy a bushel of Honeycrisp apples and staple them to the branches and, and go up and, and look at these beautiful, tasteful Honeycrisp apples and pick them off the tree and it would look like it, it would feel like it, but eventually those, those apples would stop growing unless I did it myself. The bad apples would continue to grow off of that tree. And that's what Jesus is getting at here is that you can look more loving, you can work at being more gentle, you can do all of these things, but eventually the bad fruit inside of you will grow again. And you're not going to fool anyone, especially God. The other analogy he uses is what Phil spoke on last week, so I'll just touch on this shortly. It's the, the analogy of the vine, right? Which in that culture, in that context, they would understand very well. Where Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And it can't be said much more clear than this, that if we try to live apart from Jesus, we do nothing. We will bear no fruit. And the concept here is that people will fail in their own fleshly power. You, you can try very hard to be good, but eventually in your own power, you will fail. And Israel themselves had failed many times through the centuries. And, and even this statement would have been kind of offensive to some of them. He started in verse 1 by saying, I am the true vine, which for many super religious Jews would have, would have been kind of uh, antagonistic because they viewed themselves as the true vine. But Jesus says, I am the one who will give you what you need to bear fruit. And the only way to do so is to remain in me. Now, it's a message a lot of people don't like to hear. And the prophets of old gave that message, God gave them that message to deliver to the people of Israel many times that, that you're failing at this and, and you're, you're turning towards idols and you're walking away. And do you know what those people wanted to do to those prophets? Kill them, right? And, and even the message today, if, if you say, like, in your own power, you're failing and this isn't working, you need help, it's, it's an offensive message to people. And so I'm about to read a list here that is not my words, it is the Apostle Paul of what it looks like when you try to do life in your own power. These are the verses that precede the fruit of the Spirit. He writes in verse 17 that the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh, that they are in conflict with each other. You go on to read verse 19, that the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a whole list of things that I hope none of us would want to live up to. But the point is, if you live in your own power and you make this all about your own work before God, you will fail. And you will fail spectacularly. And your own fruit will be evident. So the takeaway from this is, 
is if you want to be more loving and more joyful and more peaceful, etc., that, that unless you're living in, in full faith and trust and submission to God, unless you are remaining or abiding in the true vine, Jesus, this isn't possible. It's not possible. This is only done through his power. And the reason is the third point is because ultimately the character that we're reflecting for the fruit of the Spirit is, is not our character, and I mean that collectively. It's not our character as people. It is Christ's character that ultimately is going to be reflected in our lives. And we tend to look at these virtues through the lens of, of our own human understanding and our own human examples and think, you know, when I see the word kind, I think of my Uncle Tom. He was, the, he was the kindest guy I know. When I, when I think of patient, I think of my Aunt Sally, who had just difficult people in her life, and she was so patient and forbearing with them. And it's not bad to try to live up to the wonderful people in your life, but ultimately it sells you short of what God's work in, is in you. The, the scope of this work is, is not for the Holy Spirit to make you into a better version of yourself, or to make you like the best people around you. The work here, the fruit of the Spirit, is to transform you into the likeness of Jesus. That is, the definition of fruit is to become Christ-like. And to understand Christ-likeness is to know what Christ was like. And when you look at these list of nine characteristics and, and, and look at through the lens of who Jesus was, it really opens up your mind of, of the kind of work that God wants to do in you. And we're going to look at these all in the next nine weeks a little bit deeper, but just brief definitions of, of love. You know, the word that's used here for love is, is the deep, agape, sacrificial love where you hold others above yourself. It's unconditional, and there's no greater love than is displayed through Jesus on the cross for us. Joy is this consistent, this, this, this contentment, gladness of knowing God. And, and Jesus, no matter what he faced, never complained or grumbled. He knew who he was. He had that relationship with the Father as the Son. And that joy became his strength through all things. The, the peace is this, this inner and, and outward and upward peace in yourself and with others and with God. And, and Jesus himself was the prince of peace, who, who leaves us with his peace that's greater than anything the world can give us. Forbearance or patience is this idea of, of being slow to anger and, and willing to put up with others, especially in challenging situations. And, and Jesus was mistreated more than any of us could ever understand, and yet he came to die for the people who scorned him. Even on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father for they don't know what they're doing. And kindness is this concept of, of being friendly, being, being generous as a person, considerate for others and putting their needs before yourselves. No one put others' needs first more than Jesus, who is selfless all the way to the cross. Goodness is this moral excellence in doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. Nobody lived the perfect life but Jesus. Faithfulness 
is this loyalty, this reliability in, in, in relationships as a person that you are trustworthy in your commitments And Jesus told us he would never leave us or forsake us. He never gives up on us. Gentleness is this humbleness in your spirit, this meekness and compassion towards others, this this knowing if you are completely right and they are completely wrong, that you don't have to hold it over their head and have power over them. Nobody was more humble than Jesus, that even when he was tempted, he did not. When, when, when he was on the cross, he knew that they were being taken for the cross. He knew that he had called down 12 legions of angels to destroy the Roman armies, and yet he did not. And self-control is the ability to exercise this discipline and restraint over anything, especially desires and temptations. And we know that Jesus was tempted in every single way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. The point of the fruit of the Spirit is is not to make us into better versions of us. It's to make us more like him. And as we conclude, you know, you might be looking at this list, this package, and say, boy, I am a long way away from that. And that you have to understand in all of this God's pace and God's process. Okay, and his pace is made very clear that this is a work that starts in us and it's going to continue through our whole life. All right, up until the day of Jesus, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. Every day you are alive, God is working this in you. And there's more room for you to grow in this. So don't be discouraged no matter where you're at in the journey. But also understand his process. All right. When you say, when you have the prayer, I wish I could be more like Jesus. I wish I could be kind or patient like Jesus. It's probably going to come through pain. You hear growing pains. That's, that's how spiritual growth works, especially in this. And Phil touched on this last week that in, in John 15, when it talks about us being the branches, Jesus said the way for the branches to bear more fruit is to prune them. And so the process of growth is as painful as God cuts away the dead parts of your life. If you say, help me to be more like Jesus, if you pray that, then you'll probably be challenged to love someone who's not very lovable. You'll probably be challenged to worry about something when you should be exhibiting God's peace in your life. You'll probably be challenged to be short with someone that you should be patient and kind with. And so the growth here, the process of growth is often through some kind of pain, but the end result is a more mature and a more complete believer. All of these things require some strain and some pain to grow, but in the end, you'll be more fruitful, and it's by your fruit that you'll be known to be his disciples. There's a a great work that God wants to do in all of us, no matter where we are. And as I said, whether you've been at this for a day or a hundred years, there's more work for God to do in you. There's still more room to grow to be Christ-like. And it's a big work that only God can do. 
But when we look at this, I, I, I see what, what Paul is saying in the context here is that when you live through life in the Spirit and, and you're totally submitted to Him, it is a, a life of freedom. This list is not constricting. It, it is expansive, right? And it helps us to be free in our lives from all of these things, the, it, all of the, the works of the flesh that I had read earlier. And it starts with faith. It continues with faith, and it's completed in faith. This freedom comes only through Jesus. And when we transition to communion, it's understanding how this freedom came. The freedom came through the cross. The freedom came through his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection. And Romans 6 ties up that point very well, in order for any of this work to even start, it required Jesus to go to the cross. In Romans 6, verses 5 through 7, it reads this. That if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's ultimately what life in the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit is, is, is a life freed from sin, where you can walk in the freedom of the Lord, but we have to remember how that was possible. Jesus died for you and he paid the price for that sin so not only is that sin forgiven but it's completely removed from you as far as the east is from the west communion is a time to remember the freedom that we have in him because of the sacrifice that he made for us so we're going to take a moment to remember that to celebrate communion if you're new here today just a couple of items about communion at Maple Plain Community Church and what we believe is that this is something we do monthly. We're instructed to do this regularly as we meet. And this is for anyone who professes faith in Jesus. So if you're a newcomer here today, there's no membership or class necessary. We invite you to participate with us if you are a believer in Jesus. We also view the bread and the cup as symbolic, that these are our tools to help us to remember the body and the blood of Jesus. And it's also an experience that we, 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 we know leads towards reflection of, of who we are in, in Christ and, and what Christ has done with us. So it's a, it's a time that we take very reverently as a church. And so what we do is exactly what we are instructed in the book of 1 Corinthians, that we are to take a time to examine ourselves before we participate in communion. So we'll just take a quick moment here of silence, just for you and the Lord just to, to speak with him, to confess your sin to him, to, to say, God, I'm really struggling in this, or just to say, God, thank you, or, or God, I don't always remember this every day, but I appreciate what you've done. Whatever it is, this is the time for you to reflect in yourself and examine yourself before the Lord. So we're gonna take a quick moment to do that, and then I'll, I'll wrap that up in prayer and give you just further instructions as we continue in communion. this brief moment of silence as we 
examine ourselves and our, our, our own hearts before you. God, we all understand that we are not worthy, God, that we are not, we're not fit to be in your presence, and, and yet we also remember at the same time that you've called us, that you've redeemed us, and you've made us new, and it's this, this wonderful tension that we live in of, of knowing that we are, in fact, unworthy, but you've made us worthy. And so, God, we thank you for that. And, and for those who are struggling with sin in their life, and if they're, they're going through this cycle of guilt and shame and never feeling enough, God, I, I pray that they would just come to you in repentance and they would understand that there is freedom from that sin and it just means turning away from that sin, turning away from their own desires and, and just turning towards you and accepting the gift that you have given us all of forgiveness. We know, Lord, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of those sins and to lead us into righteousness. So God, in this time, I just pray that we can, we can celebrate being made clean and being made new in your presence. But God, we know it's only possible because what you've done through your son on the cross. So also in this time, God, I pray that we would reflect and remember the sacrifice that you made, uh, that the death that, that Jesus experienced that he did not deserve, yet he did so willingly and generously for us all. And that it brings us to a, a, a place of, of deeper appreciation uh, for all that you've done for us. So I just pray your blessings over this time of communion. As we take the bread and we take the cup as you instructed it to us to, that it wouldn't just be another time, but God, this would be a special time for us all as you just work in us and, and you just prompt us towards a heart of praise and thankfulness for what you've done as such a kind and generous God. And so we pray these things now in your name, Jesus. Amen.